So uh, here's, here's you, actually, you don't need a slide for this. Uh, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles uh, to, that, to that passage. What we're going to do in lieu of the rest of announcements today, uh, and this was planned, is we're going to spend a few minutes just meditating on this scripture. Uh, meditation is basically uh, just a, a time to let God's word just wash over our, our minds and into, into our hearts. So um, read this passage, and I want to encourage you to especially, especially focus on verses 18 and 19. Again, that's Ephesians 3. Uh, 14 through 19 is the section, but I really want you to just, us together, to spend time dwelling on verses 18 and 19. It's talking about God's love for us in Christ. So I'm going to give us a few minutes to uh, silently meditate on these verses. Lord, I pray that as we continue in worship, this time of silence, this time of reflection has been a pursuit of you, adoration of you, that your love for us knows no bounds. There is no analogy in the, in the natural order. The, the best I can think of is the universe. We know, we, we know not its ends. And that is the kind of love that you have for us in Christ. The love that we can know even though it is un unsearchable, it's unknowable, it's depth and breadth. 
but we can know it together. Thank you that that's true of anyone who calls on you as Lord. You do not designate your love out by merit. And we're all made for this love relationship with you. So we are grateful. And we pray now, even without slides, um, that we would engage your word. That we would know you, Jesus, more. And we would love you more. And we would leave this place more encouraged, motivated, and equipped to live the life that you have called us to live whether it's a stay-at-home mom or a single or an engineer, wherever you've placed us, we believe that you have work for us to do. You have opportunity for us to enjoy you there. And so please help us now. Amen. So uh, if a car doesn't start, and raise your hand if you feel like you know a lot about cars start out okay that's good there's a couple i know there's more that didn't raise their hand but they know some about cars so i want to apologize to you who know about cars up front because i don't it's kind of a mystery to me how they all operate i know they need gas you know i know the basics but not very far i also know you've got to turn the key (laughs) right everybody knows you got to turn the key to get the car started and if the car doesn't start i've never seen I've never seen that the reason the car didn't start is because someone forgot to put the key in and turn it. Maybe you've done that, but even I have not done that. And while that's true, there are many, many, many reasons that might keep a car from starting. A bad battery, a bad starter, etc. However, from my reading of the Gospels, and we're back in our study of Matthew this week, and really in all of Scripture, it seems like People's primary problem with faith is often they just don't want to or they choose not to put the key in and try to turn it over. Uh, Try to give Jesus, uh, the, the God of the Bible, a legitimate hearing. And you don't have to commit your whole life to him and his teachings to just try it on and to see, okay, what What would happen? Um, And I'm not promoting that you should just stay there like trial run followership of Jesus. But it's amazing to me how how many people seem to not really give him a legitimate shot. And the gospel account builds a case, each gospel builds a case for putting trust in Jesus. But ultimately, every writer leaves it up to the audience, to the reader. What what are you going to do? What what are we going to do? So that, that simple choice of choosing to put our confidence in the person and the work of Christ consistently seems to be the common obstacle, everyone's big hang-up. And, and that's even true whether or not you witness a miracle, which often it's easy for us to read the Bible and think, man, if I saw a sea part, a red sea part, then I'd be set for life on faith, right? Um, I just wouldn't run out. Or if I saw a blind man see If I saw a lame man walk, a dead man rise. But that's just not the biblical story. That's that's just not true. Um, And and so it kind of reminds me of like, there's some IT guys in the room, some computer guys. And uh, how often when people call you with a problem, 
that you asked that first question, have you tried rebooting your computer? You tried, have you tried restarting your machine? And then, and then there's that embarrassed pause from people like me. Uh, let me call you back. Um, but yeah, it, I, I get that there's more to faith than, than just witnessing a miracle. You, you just can't diagnose those other things though. Like you can't diagnose your, your hangups in faith the same way you can't diagnose a computer problem or a car problem without the simple steps of first turning the engine or turning the key to start the engine or rebooting your machine. You kind of have to see, okay, let's do this first. Let's, let's give Jesus a hearing first. And then, based on what we hear, then we can go explore um, what are other hangups that might keep us from placing full confidence following him with our whole life. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us here are believers. That's in the society we live in. You, you kind of come to church because you have chosen to place your confidence in Jesus. Um, although it's a place that people who are searching are more than welcome. Most, most people here are believers. If we're honest with ourselves, I think faith continues to be a hang-up. Even after we said that initial yes. And if you don't know me, um, you might be thinking, well, Ben just wants people to put, you know, like the key in the ignition and turn it over and just trust Jesus simple into the fact, or into the story, matter of fact. And I'm not promoting that type of simplistic faith. I'm really not. If, if you know me well, I, I'm no mechanic, but when it comes to ideas, when it comes to the complexities of the faith, I love to get my hands dirty. I love the complexities. Historically, honestly, I've loved them too much. Um, and you've if you're my friend, you've had to bear with my kind of grease-drenched body from tinkering with all the connections. And I, I often leave my friends confused. Sometimes I leave myself confused. But, um, yeah, I never really understood why people like Brett enjoy taking things apart and putting them back together, like engineers. You know, I never really understood that, but that's the way that I am with these types of things. So, I guess here, here's my point. All the apologetics, all the tools in the world, if you're able to take the faith apart and put it back together, that will not help anyone if they're not willing to turn the key. And the reason I make that statement is, as I studied this passage this week, um, it's clear throughout the Gospels and in the passage we're studying that Jesus had the same kind of dilemma that he is working with. The people around him, he could perform all sorts of miracles, say all sorts of profound things, but unless they consistently chose to turn the key, listen to Jesus, put confidence in him, and evaluate, okay, is what he's saying true? Can, can I trust him? Then, you know, uh, in, in God's good providence, it's, it's outside of his control. So before we read and get into our uh, passage, I want to remind us in our, in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, um, we're now in chapters 8 through 10, and we're going to be there the rest of this year. So during this time, we're going to see story after story of Jesus healing, driving out demons, even raising the dead. And Matthew is tying all of this into his theme of fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and all of God's purposes. He's demonstrating himself to be that. He's demonstrating himself to be the fulfillment of, of what God has said as he does these miraculous deeds. 
And the, the temptation with these stories is there's two ditches to avoid. You ev- either overemphasize these miracles or you underemphasize them. So overemphasizing would look like this. We focus on the miracle more than the miracle worker. Underemphasize would be like, yeah, we believe that miracle happened, but we're going to explain it away, um, you know, as, well, that just points to Jesus, which is true, but we need to deal with the fact that it's a miracle. So however you look at it, though, this, this, these are very personal texts. And w- when I say that, it's personal, like, God, why, why, why have you not uh, performed miracles like that in my life? Answered the prayers uh, that I've asked of would you heal this family member and, and things like that. Um, I, I think that's true of every person in this room and even every person we know that they've prayed for some kind of healing and felt like that prayer was not answered. And so there's this, this complex why question. And, and what I want to say about That in general, just as a primer for the next three months, is Jesus is the holistic healer. And what I mean is Jesus is committed to bringing about healing, the best kind of healing for anyone that would have it. He will restore, he will ultimately heal all things. But the healing now, the, the, the temporary healing now is never the whole point. The healer is always the point of these miracles. So healing matters. We should pursue healing, but the, the healer always matters more. So that's just kind of a primer because for the next three months, we're going to be wrestling through these tensions of, you know, Jesus performed these amazing miracles and uh, often that just doesn't line up with our experience because miracles are by nature outside of normal life experience. So let's start uh, where Matthew does with this section. We're going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 8. Now this is right after the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. So when Jesus came down from the mountain, giving that great sermon, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched the leper, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to the man, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. So when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to Jesus, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to this centurion, this this guy who was over a hundred soldiers, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such great faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And at that very moment, his servant was healed. So I want to break this passage down by its structure. There are two pericopes, which if you haven't heard that word, it's, a, it's just a fancy way of saying sections. Yeah, there you go. But pericope starts with a P and so does point. So there's two pericopes there's, and there's one point. The first pericope is that of the leper, verses one through four. The second is that of the centurion. In both stories, there was a testimony given. One testimony or witness was given to Israel. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, it's very significant. It's, it's actually laid out what should happen when someone has leprosy. They should go to the priest and the priest confirms they're leprous and here's how they should act. They, they need to walk around when they're around other people saying unclean. And they normally aren't around other people. They're outside the camp in order for their uncleanness to be separated and for God's people to be set aside as holy. So in Leviticus 13 and 14, you see all of these rules. And there are some cases in the Old Testament where like Moses and Elisha, two of Israel's greatest prophets, that they heal leprosy, but they never do it by touching it. Because to touch a leprous person would be to make yourself unclean. And so when Jesus touches a leprous person, he heals him, and therefore he's, he's not making himself unclean because he's healing, he's bringing cleanness to that person. And this is a testimony to Israel, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to Jesus. That, and that's the first testimony of this first section, this first pericope. The, 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 the second section also has a testimony, and this is more of a testimony to the world because the rest of the world didn't have to operate by all these rules that were given to God's people specifically. Um, but the world, the world knows how authority works. And this guy, as a soldier, he knew exactly how authority works because that's how his life worked. Someone told him what to do, and he was under obligation to fulfill those orders. And then he gives orders to his men, and they were under obligation to fulfill them. And so when he comes to Jesus... He understands and he believes. He, he kind of turns the key of faith and says, Jesus, I, I trust that you have authority and I'm willing to put myself out there and ask you to use your authority to heal my servant who I care about a lot. And so the, the whole world can kind of get behind and understand what Jesus does to the centurion. It's a witness, not just to Israel, but it's a witness to the whole world. And in both cases, in these two pericopes, Jesus is also breaking societal norms. I kind of touched on this when I unpacked the whole unclean thing of Leviticus 13 and 14. Jesus did not say, get outside of the camp. He said, I'm willing, be clean. And as far as engaging or breaking societal norms with the centurion, in the first century, the Jews were under Roman occupation. And they felt like it was their God-given right to rule themselves and be in their own land. So guess who their enemy was? In, in many Jewish minds, the enemy was the Romans. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is engaging, he's loving the enemy 
so far as being willing to go to the house of a Gentile, which was socially frowned upon. No good Jew would hang out with Gentiles like that. And he also, of course, he, he, he did this man an incredible favor by healing his, essentially his family. Because from my research, Roman soldiers like this centurion, uh, this centurion actually was in a position where he could not have a family. So his servant was like the person he cared about the most. And Jesus does this long distance um, miracle, which is incredible. But in both cases, Jesus demonstrates a willingness to heal, to touch and heal, and even to heal without needing to touch. So these are all points. They're they're all pointing to, hey, it makes sense to listen to Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. Look at these legitimate reasons for trusting Jesus. And I think here's the nail in the coffin as to why this passage really isn't about the miracles so much as it is about faith. We've got three months to unpack these miraculous works of Jesus. But it seems to me that Matthew wants to start by putting the reader's emphasis on faith. Because what Jesus says just puts the emphasis on faith. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Your translation might say that Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. And then Jesus goes a step further by choosing to teach on faith. I want to remind us of verses 11 through 12. Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, do you kind of feel, do you have an idea what that original audience must have felt? Because when he says sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, he's talking to the Jews. His, the crowd around him was mostly Jews. And they'd all been amazed, amazed at what Jesus was saying, now amazed at what Jesus is doing. And the modern day equivalent of what, we would hear for when they heard that is, I tell you the truth, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven, but uh, you're going to hell. I'm just saying, that's kind of the modern day shock factor that they would have heard. And it's, it's not a far stretch in my imagination for Jesus' closest friends, the 12 apostles, to, for many of them to say, Jesus, like the crowds, they're on your side right now. Like, what are you doing? That's how important faith is to Jesus. Understanding the kind of faith that Jesus desires for us to have. The kind of confidence that he is inviting us to place in him. And of course, Jesus also hung out with hotheads like Peter, James, and John. And they might have been something more like, yeah, get him, Jesus. You know, like, but neither of those responses was right. Jesus is, Jesus is correcting this misunderstanding of faith out of love, out of desire for close intimacy and relationship that can only come through faith, through confidence in him. And I want to zoom in on Jesus' teaching for us to get some takeaways of of what 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 is the kind of faith that pleases 
God, the kind of faith that Jesus marvels at. Um, and I think his response teaches that faith is not hereditary, first of all. Uh, when he said sons of the kingdom, that often the, the problem in the Jewish mindset, this isn't the case for all Jews in the Bible or all Jews everywhere, but often it was this sense of, I'm a Jew, therefore I'm part of God's chosen people. Um, and and there's, there's, there's the ethnic people, the Jews, and then there's the, the, the spiritual lineage of Abraham and Isaac. So he says that just because you think you're in, based on your family of origin, based on the people that you're around, that's not necessarily true. Faith is not hereditary. You can't acquire it through osmosis. Obviously, your company matters. The, the people you invite into your life matters, but that can only go so far. There's a component that simply requires each of us to choose. And, and like I said before, it's easy for us to say, oh, if I had that type of encounter, I wouldn't have any problem trusting God, trusting Jesus. But the biblical story really says the opposite. It's often the ones who have the most evidence who are the ones struggling to trust the most. While the seemingly random people like this centurion who come out of nowhere, apparently, choose to humble themselves and experience God. And I believe that's Matthew's point, and so that's, that's my simple point today. Um, we all have struggles in trusting someone other than ourselves. But we cannot diagnose the problem in a car, or the problem in a computer, without being willing to turn the key, <laughs> see what it sounds like. So if, if you are around people that are seriously considering turning the key or that are struggling, then it's, it's important that we, we have some tools in our tool belt that can help them. And apologetics is not so much about arguing. Often people have apologetics and debates in their mind, which that can be, that can be a helpful tool. But apologetics is really about auditing our faith, auditing other people's faith, and people don't like auditors either. <laughs> but friendly auditing is basically like, yeah, tell me, what, tell me what you think is happening, tell me what you think is true, and let's, let's see if that's actually true. You know, like, let's, let's check that against the facts. Because you might find that the God that they don't believe in, you really don't believe in either. They, they've, they've framed up the the vision of who God is incorrectly. And so you might wonder, okay, so how do I know? Like, how, how do I even begin to engage with people? I think this is a really helpful starting place is uh, what would they accept and what would you accept as legitimate evidence for, for listening to Jesus? And then how did you get that requirement? Is that also how you judge other accounts of human history? Is that also how you judge other perspectives? And, you know, if people ask you or if you ask any question that you really don't know the answer to, it's, it's always good to, to have, take the long-term approach. You know, I, I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm going to think about it and get back to you. And if you have questions, let other people think about it and get back with you. It's, it's, it's long-term. But you have to keep turning the key and hearing, okay, what's, what's going on and what's the next step? How, how can we grow in faith? 
So Jesus teaches that faith is not hereditary. He also teaches it's not the result of miracles. Maintenance, like a car, maintenance is required. All the people who saw and and followed Jesus had to keep choosing to follow him. Uh, One time, Rose and I were on a plane, and uh, the lady sitting next to us uh, was a doctor, and we got to strike up some personal conversation. And when she found out that I was a pastor, she thought, uh, oh, you must have had some, like, incredible, miraculous experience to, like, make a life transition from the career that you were in to that career. And uh, I was just like, no, not really. I probably could have answered her better, to be honest. But, but, but it just goes to show that often, like, people associate faith with, like, the miraculous, and, and there's absolutely a place for the miraculous, but um, often, and this is something I've picked up from my mentor, one of my mentors, is if you have a miraculous encounter with God, that's great. Put it in your backpack and keep going. Keep going. That's not the point. The, the journey walking with God is the point. And so, no matter where, no matter where you're at, if you had lots of them or none of them, it doesn't really matter when it comes to growing in confidence in Jesus. What matters is what's the next step. Are you doing what he's told you to do? Even when you'd rather not do it. And then thank, just remember all the ways that you have trusted God and be encouraged when you look back on your journey, be encouraged about those mile markers. And the the final point that I want to focus on is that faith is what pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So in today's passage, Jesus was impressed at the centurion's faith. And if, if you, it's this way with all relationships. If you care to get to know someone, you always start by finding out what they care about. And then you start caring enough about them to express an interest in what they care about. So Jesus, he, he cares about us and he expresses that through calling us to learn to trust him. Sometimes uh, I think it's easy for us to think, okay, someone's put their faith in Jesus and they're good to go. And in a sense, that's true, but it's, it, the maintenance piece always keeps coming up. Faith in Jesus is always living in line with reality. We have to learn what's real as we learn not to make that diagnosis of what's real ourselves, but to put our trust in Jesus. So, so if anyone has ever told you, hey, just believe, just believe harder, that's not the solution to every problem, let alone most problems. But belief and aligning our beliefs rightly with reality is part of every solution. We have to think about what we're believing, how that's impacting our actions. So tying it back into the healing stories, should we believe for healing then? Well, sure. Sure but just make sure it's the right kind of healing. A, heal, a healer-centric healing. 
a healing that puts Jesus first. Because if you do that, whether or not God gives you the healing that you're asking for, faith will be demonstrated. And in our story, we see a humble, desperate request by both the leper and the centurion. Faith is expressed through these, this type of humble request. And that humble request is always directed to Jesus as Lord. That means he's king. He knows best. That means that we can feel disappointment when we don't get what we're asking for. But having this type of faith, uh, it also serves very much as a safety net. We're secure because we trust him. He knows best. And especially great faith uh, seems to care about Jesus' well-being and the certainty of his ability. Like that's what separates the centurion. Is he said, no, you don't even have to come to my house. I know you've got a lot on your plate and I believe you have the kind of power that you can just, if you want to do it, you can say the word and it's done. And this, this is not a recipe for how to get God to say yes to your requests. This, this is more of a recipe for a heart level healing over time. When we come to God with this type of heart posture, this type of request, we are living more and more in line with ultimate reality. So I, I want to conclude with a few applications. If, if you're struggling with your faith, uh, there's no shame. Just make sure that you're continuing to diagnose what is it that I'm struggling with? Why, why is this not turning over? If someone was struggling with their health, a good doctor would never shame them. Shame is not helpful if you're trying to get help. But just be willing to keep putting in the effort to, to work through the diagnostic process. Find out what's holding you back and train to trust. And we, we've got to just own, we've got to own our faith as we, as we walk with God and as we move forward. And faith is always expressed in love. The, the last thing I want to share is that the only thing that counts, according to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So let's pray. Jesus, when we think about how you can touch a sick person, how you can uh, say a word and someone a long ways off is healed, it's, it's, it's often hard for us to wrap our arms around because it's, it's so outside of our experience. Even, even though we believe every word But what we want to do with it is, is we want to live in that type of confidence in you. Not expecting for you to make our lives the way that we want them to be, but that you would change our desires and, and, and check our hearts so that our requests... Our, our desires would be more in line with what you want. Help us to have 
a right understanding of faith. Help us to own our faith and just do the maintenance that's required in order to grow.